0: Hello out there, my name is Sam Maxwell, and welcome to the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the research process of the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series I am developing. Today, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome San Francisco State University Professor Spain Arbor to the program, a resident of uh, Brooklyn back in the day. How are you doing, Spain? Uh. I'm fine. Glad glad to be
1: talking to you, Sam. Absolutely, and thank you very, very much for joining. Well, let's get right into it. Tell us about your roots in Brooklyn. My roots in Brooklyn? Well, I was born uh, of actually a Norwegian family. Both my parents were immigrants from Norway, and uh, they moved to Bay Ridge, which, as you probably know, has a very had in those days especially a very significant uh, Norwegian population. Uh, The 17th of May parade celebrating Norway's constitution is still going on to this day. And uh, so uh, I I grew up, went to PS 104 uh, and and, uh, became over the course of time a Brooklyn Dodger fan, although as I grew up, my Norwegian parents were not particularly interested in baseball in fact they had no interest in it at all but i had a very good friend who uh, roger whose father was the promotion manager for the new york sun and uh he uh was very much into baseball and uh, as i became friends with roger uh, and my other boyhood friends as well uh we started going to ebbets field uh I think the first time I was at Ebbets Field was in 1947 when I was 10 and I have a very vivid memory. Rogers' father got us tickets along the third base line and uh I have a very vivid memory of seeing Jackie Robinson at first base, a position that he only uh he only played for that one year. Mm-hmm. Was this uh in the middle of the summer
0: or do you think it was it was rather early in the spring? When you saw I
1: think it was. I think it was probably April or May. It was. I think okay. it, was a, it was a Saturday during before school was let out. Is my recollection. And I know that the team they played that day was the Cardinals. But beyond that, I can't even remember whether the Dodgers won or lost. Uh, but <laughs> it was quite uh, interesting to see uh, to see Jackie, uh, uh, the first black man. There he was uh, at first base, uh, uh, and. Uh, uh we were all thrilled and happy to, to see this breakthrough in in, in, in baseball. Now, before then. you got to your first game,
0: do you remember being around the ballpark during game time ever uh in the early 40s? Uh
1: no because uh that was in Flatbush and I never saw Ebbets Field till the that day when we came to the first uh to that to my first game. But the Dodgers in those days uh, would sometimes have double-headers that were morning-afternoon double-headers. So you would go for a morning game, and I can't remember exactly when it started, but let's say 10 a.m., and then uh, you it would they would be charging you twice. So mm-hmm. they, they sent everyone out into the streets, and you hung around Ebbets Field waiting for the gates to reopen for the second game. So uh, those were occasions to get the... The atmosphere of Ebbets Field, which was uh, right there near the Botanical Garden and near Prospect Park, uh, uh, and, uh, 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 and an easy ride from, from from everywhere in Brooklyn, getting off uh, right there at Prospect Park and walking over to the ballpark. I remember yeah. that very that exhilaration of coming out of the subway and walking uh, over to Ebbets Field uh, and seeing hey. it with the. With the that that, that uh, exit is still there
0: right now. Unfortunately, there is no ballpark when you come out of it. There's a Wendy's right. and,
1: a, and, a, and an apartment building. <laughs> right, that's right, uh, uh, that's right. You can still go up the steps, but when you get there, uh, uh, it's a big letdown. Absolutely. Well, luckily they have a
0: mural out there. They've they've been doing a, a Jackie Robinson school is right across the street from Ebbets Field. Uh, I've right. been there uh, in the middle it's very surreal to be standing in the middle of, of the land when you're in the playground and it says no ball playing. It's a, it's a very surreal experience out there. Um, That's a wonderful irony. Yeah. That's it's a, a wonderful, wonderful irony. irony. And, and, but in between double headers, if you were ever to do that, uh, what was it like? What would you, you and your friends and family do around the place uh, to kill the time? Would would you go over to the
1: park? I gather it. Uh, I don't think we, we just kind of hung out uh, as I recall. We hung up, maybe went to that Stallmeyer hot dog stand there and get a hot dog and uh and complain about the fact that the Dodgers were trying to milk us by getting two separate admissions for a doubleheader. Uh mm-hmm. we we felt that this was a violation of of baseball's tradition, uh, to uh for a doubleheader you should be getting two games for the price of one. But, now where uh, would the closest were, pub be near there? Uh, I don't know that I I can't I can't say because I was just a kid in those days so even though in those days the drinking age was 18 you're talking about mine uh, about a time when I was 11 12 13 in mm-hmm. there Right exactly
0: so well I know that no there's, not one, uh,
1: there's not one there's not one around there now but
0: you you hear stories about uh uh, uh the, the happy recap being done in there I believe that's that's the uh um, I'm, I, I, I'm I'm losing his name. If you could help me with it, but the the, the guy who would do all the interviews uh, and and have oh, uh, ha- pre- happy
1: ha- happy Felton, happy Felton's uh, yeah. uh, Not hole gang, and knot then hole whole gang. he did exactly right. And then he did the, after, the There were two shows. He did a show before the games, and that was a show where you would get some kids who belonged to the knot hole game, and they would come out on the field, and someone like Pee Wee Reese or Duke Snyder would give them some tips about how to play baseball, how to hold your glove or how to bunt that kind of thing. And then after the games, uh, Happy Feldman would bring uh, the the player who uh, stood out in that the game just over to come in and uh, he'd interview him. Yeah, Happy Feldman mm-hmm. a very a very portly gentleman uh, uh who uh he was with the Dodgers a long time. He was with the Dodgers throughout that from the time at least from the time that uh TV came on the scene. I'm not exactly sure when the Giants star I mean, the Dodgers and Giants started uh, st- st- putting their games on television, but it was early on. It was before 1950, right. I think so,
0: 48 or 49. So you might not exactly know this. It might be a rhetorical
1: question, but who paid his uh, his check? Was it the Dodgers or the television network? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Happy Felton uh, probably he probably worked for the sponsors. Yeah, uh, that okay. would be my guess, uh, and I can't remember who those the sponsors of that those programs were. Of course, uh, Schaefer Beer was the one of the main sponsors of the of the broadcast, the Red Barber uh, uh, Connie Desmond broadcast. Uh, pretty sure, as I recall, it was on Channel Nine, and uh, Shakespeare uh, uh, Schaefer Beer was at least one of the. Right, mm-hmm. predominant sponsors during those years.
0: And then there was I found, course, I found, Schaefer.
1: Schaefer, I found Schaefer's at uh, the target right across the street from Barclays Center and I didn't
0: think the beer still existed, but that was that was interesting finding that beer, which I, I only knew
1: I only knew the brand because of the famous scoreboard. Right. that was that the light and then the H when when there was a question about a play, the H in Schaefer would light up if it was a hit. Uh, and the E in Schaefer would line mm. up if it was error, uh, which was kind of fun. You know, if you were wondering, hey, is that a hit or is that an error? And uh, it would show up in the in actually in the name Schaefer on the score scoreboard. It's well, speaking different. speaking of Ebbets Field and the scoreboard, is there uh, some stories you can
0: tell about some other games that you went to uh, that you remember seeing out there?
1: Well, I remember not. But, well, I was at a lot of different games. I suppose the game but i remember the most was the game in 1950 uh which was at the end of the season and the dodgers were playing the phillies the wizkid phillies and um and that was a game that the dodgers needed to win it was the last game of the season to bring a, to bring about a tie they had come they'd been closing in on the wizkids and uh the dodgers uh, uh almost they were they they had a good shot at winning that game and then in the end uh the home run. That uh, mm. uh, so that was the game where where a ball Pee Wee Reese hit the ball and it got stuck in the right f- in the screen above the right field scoreboard, and a, bo- and a and a kid went 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 out onto the kind of creeping out onto the scoreboard to pick the ball off the fence uh, and save it. So that was a, a moment uh, mm. uh, in uh, in Ebbets field history that uh, I remember well. Uh, I remember, too, there was a night when they had uh, anyone who wanted to could get free admission if they brought a musical instrument. (laughs) And uh, I can't remember exactly when that was, but it was total chaos in Ebbets Field because you had horns and drums and everything blasting away. I think they only tried that music night once and decided that that was not a particularly good idea. Um, I remember from, uh, that photo, it, it's a photo of, of everybody in the
0: stands, you brought uh, an instrument and and it was basically an entire stadium of symphony
1: <laughs> yes, or, or cacophony is the, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely And, that, and that, that idea came out of the Dodger symphony for sure, which were those kind of semi-musicians that went around the stands and played Well I'll and, tell you, I found the date You found the date? When yeah, was it? let's see Um
0: Oh, it, I it had it but it was August but, oh, go, maybe? 1951 1951 right actually it's it's called i mean it's quoted here as as uh music depreciation night
1: <laughs> music depreciation night yeah. right oh okay. uh yes i i remember that i was there that night and that was that was total wildness uh, it was uh it was a great place Ebbets uh it was uh you know that people talk about it being small, and it was small, but um, uh, the the bleachers as they were, in, if you went to the polo grounds, uh, those bleacher seats out in center field were just bleachers. They were just benches, but the so-called bleachers in Evans Field were out in the upper deck in center field, mm-hmm. and they were actually seats with backs. And as I recall, when I the, the price that I remember, you'd go there around 6 o'clock and wait to get in, as I recall, when I was a kid, it was only about sixty cents to sit out there in the in the in the bleachers, and and they they were great seats, great seats, great, yeah. absolutely.
0: Uh, Some of the uh, that's one of the better things they've done with City Field, and you can you can say what you want. It certainly has flaws, but they did a great job with the intimacy because even even the last row behind home plate is is probably where the uh, the st- Second to last uh, uh, level at Shea Stadium is that's 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 something. I Shea Stadium is humongous. Even though I I,
1: I I appreciate
0: it,
1: Shea Stadium, you were way too far back from the action, yeah. way too far back. They were they were prided themselves in that cantilevered construction, but I I I, I, ne- I always felt that I was far far away from the game at Shea Stadium. I agree with you on City Field. My only comment about I went. Took my daughter there for a game a year or two back, but guess the first year it was open and uh, the, uh, for for seats in the middle deck out in left field were I think seventy six dollars a seat, right. uh, and so that's that's not my idea of of what of what a night of baseball should cost, or the night of a baseball game should cost. But it's
0: unfortunate that's that's an old uh, you know that's. That's behind us now because it probably
1: in affordable nights, probably won't be making a comeback anytime soon. Unfortunately, no, and and that was part of the fun of going to a baseball game that it was even. I remember when I went to a I went to a game a different game had had box seats up on the up on the second deck at Ebbets Field, but the first row of boxes overlooking the field. It was like three dollars or three fifty mm-hmm. for those seats. Uh, and yes, we've had inflation, but I don't think three fifty in nineteen fifty translates to seventy five dollars today. I, I, I'm pretty sure that that would not be the case. Luckily, Maybe thirty five dollars or something.
0: The thing, of, the thing about the place right now, and I don't want to get too involved in modern day Mets talk, but obviously I'm a huge Mets fan, so uh, I, I that's that's what I'm going through right now, and. The thing about it is that the, the uh, stands are starting to get juiced again, but there still isn't that many people there, uh, you know, back yet. And so it, it's, the thing about it is you can probably buy a standing room only for $20. Even if you're lucky to, to be a student, you can show off that and probably get in there for $10. There's going to be a seat available, and you can, uh, with the standing room only, you can go to the upper
1: deck and sit wherever you want. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Speaking of the Mets, I was at the first Mets game at the Polo Grounds in New York. Mm, okay, uh, yeah, let's 62. let's get into that a little bit real quick. Uh, that was that was really quite something. Uh, coming back to the Polo Grounds those five years later, uh, and 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 actually going into the Polo Grounds and seeing a game there uh, with some of the old uh, Dodgers uh, stars still still around. Uh, I think Snyder was on that team, or maybe even uh, Hodges. I'm not. Exactly sure, but uh, there we were back, uh, and uh, of course the Mets lost that game. I think they what did they lose their first forty games that year or something? No, I, the <laughs> I, think, it was the, I think it was nine or something. Their first nine, okay. Well, I'll, I'll defer to you on that. But I was at that first uh, at that first uh, Mets game at the Polo Grounds in the, in the spring of 1962. It was not a full house by any means. It was a mm. kind of dark day, a little bit of drizzle, and I think there may have been. Oh, thirty, thirty-five thousand fans. I'm not sure. Well, that's not
0: terrible, though. I mean, especially even compared to what you're getting right now at, at Citi Field. And uh, I heard that the, the Mets really, even though they, they didn't set any attendance records that year, they really uh, the, the fans were just happy to have baseball back.
1: And 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 they were set. The when the Dodgers came to town, particularly, and I think the Giants too, they were they were close to sellouts. Everyone was eager. Mm. To see that those two teams that had vanished uh, come back and play in New York again, yeah. and uh, and the idea of New York without National League baseball to me was absolutely that was not something that was unthinkable, and I was delighted to see the Mets, and I became I became a Mets fan for sure, uh, and uh, there were some glory years. Certainly, '69 was a was a. Well, hopefully, the, the the best are ahead of us when it comes to that. Right, lately they they've not been. Uh, They've not been impressing me very much of late, but that's. Well, they story. they've
0: played they've played well uh, a little bit lately, even though they haven't gone on any crazy winning winning streak. But they've been uh, playing winning baseball since June at least. So you know, as long as they can keep up and and keep keep the momentum going into the off season, I think they should be fine because they got some oh. talent coming up, and and uh, I think uh, whether or not it's Terry Collins, the right manager move will be made. So okay, uh,
1: that's, that's you sound my, that's like a, team, a yeah.
0: I'm an optimist, I guess. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk about your book real quick. Uh, you wrote a book in the uh, '70s, I believe, called Seasons Past under the pen name Damon Rice. You want to talk right. a now, about it
1: right now? I yeah. no, I did not write that alone. It was a collaboration hmm. with my friend Gord Hovis, who who I'm actually visiting here in Sonoma, California, right this week. Uh, he and I wrote it together. We divided the we. It was a story of baseball in New York going back to before the civil war and ending when the Giants and Dodgers left uh, in 58 and uh Ford wrote the parts of the of the book that had to do with the Yankees the American League and I wrote the National League sections of the book and the book is divided into three parts the first part uh is called Fletcher it's about the grandfather of the person of the character Damon who becomes the first person narrator in the third part of the book, and then the middle part is about his father Alex and his uncle Harry. So there, it follows three generations over over a period of about a hundred years, from right before the Civil War until the until the Dodgers and uh, Giants uh, took off for for California in '58. So uh, and uh, it's a it's a blending of mm-hmm. a blending of the history, the fictional line of the family. And the uh, and the and the stories of, of about of the way in which baseball developed over that period of time from uh, from after the war and the and and as professionalism came into being and the growth of the National League and then uh, some years later after the turn of the century the American League um, uh, it the, the book was published in seventy six it had a small following of fans who thought it was a great book but it never had wide circulation but it was uh i'm uh, both ford and i are very well proud luckily of we can still get it though you can still get it it's available actually i'm working now on uh putting it onto. uh i, I some probably within the next several months it'll be available as a kindle book i've well, that's already good had the book well i was going to say what's what should
0: probably end up happening when you get it digital is that people who buy uh Something like uh, baseball in the Garden of Eden by John Thorn, it'll uh, be attached to to something like that, and it can grow and grow and grow. It, it, it's it's uh, everything's specialized, and it's good for for
1: works uh, works of art like this. Right. Well, you, you, if someone wants to get it, they can. There are uh, there are copies in the used book market online. We, which one? I don't know, five bucks, ten bucks, something like that. You Can probably get a copy today.
0: But so when it comes will be available.
1: To- when it comes to uh, Brooklyn
0: and uh, not only the baseball aspect of it, but, but the family life in Brooklyn, what are some of uh, your favorite parts of the book and, and the eras that you covered?
1: Well, uh, uh, the first part, uh, Fletcher, the patriarch of the family, was involved in baseball at a time when a the lot there was a lot of crooked uh, goings on in baseball. Games were fixed. Uh, there was a pro, there was a the fixing of games was called hippodroming at the time, and uh, and gambling was a huge part of baseball back in the in in in, in the 19th century. And uh, the gamblers took full advantage of that. And uh, Fletcher, the character in those early days, gets very much involved in 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 the gambling culture that uh, pervaded in baseball in that period of time. So that's certainly uh, one aspect of the story of the development of the game that I think is uh, very interesting and it was only w- with the inception of the National League and then the American League to follow that uh, there was there were serious efforts to get rid of gambling in baseball but it was even there in in the White Sox scandal and that resulted uh, in in the hiring of Judge Landis to clean up the game so you can say for the first 50 years of the game uh uh there was always the possibility of uh games being fixed so uh i think that's an important aspect of 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 baseball uh in the early days is the is the uh, is is the, is the 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 fact that gambling was very much a part of the game really what you understand when
0: you know looking up the history of baseball is that no era is really clean and uh you know it's it's a little bit more blown up these days, and, and I can completely understand because it's uh, it, it's slightly unnatural when it comes to steroids uh, and, and chemicals. Right. But, but
1: that's again, I mean, was is there a time if we think about the history of baseball, is there a time when it was, what was the time when it was the most honest? I would think uh, after from the 40s into mm-hmm. the 50s. I think yeah, uh, uh,
0: that well, would be But guess, at the same time, I mean, when did, when did the uppies? the the others i mean uh,
1: really startup. uh i i can't say for sure but yeah. i would say later than the 50s probably into 60s. the 70s May 60s late 60s 70s possibly uh yeah. when when we that the drug the drug culture emerged out of the, the out of the 60s yeah i, I i'm not sure about that uh, but i but uh, i would say that my perception as a kid in the 40s and 50s was that the game was honest, uh, and uh, and and those players, those great stars, were were truly great stars. I mean, Mickey Mantle, whatever you want to say, to say about it. Mickey Mantle, he was he was a great player. Uh, 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 Duke Snyder was a great player uh, to me. He was my one of my favorites was Duke Snyder. I thought he was great, but then he even got tainted later on mm-hmm. by by selling. Uh, by, by by collecting money for his signature and then not paying taxes on it. So, uh, hmm. uh, well, uh, that Besides that. that, though, what are some of your favorite Duke Snyder moments? Uh, well, just watching him standing there uh, up at the plate and, uh, and and hitting home runs into Bedford Avenue. Uh, hmm. He did that with great regularity. He was also Snyder, uh, never got much credit for being a good fielder, because he was in, invariably compared to Mantle and to Mays but he was an excellent excellent center fielder. He had good range and uh and good moves and uh and and was a, was a fine player and then next to him in right field was Carl Ferrillo who had one of the great arms in all of baseball. So um uh that that team the team that uh uh the boys of summer team was certainly uh, one of the great teams and even Roger Kahn says uh, it. Aside from the pitching, it was it might well have been the best overall team uh, in the tides of times. I think was the mm. phrase he used. Uh, so um, no question, a, 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 those were great players, uh, everyone. And of course, Robinson was the most uh, the most uh, the most exciting player to come along in a long time. Have you seen? Uh, you must have seen the movie Forty Two by now. I would think. I had. I have, and I, I very much enjoyed it. Yes, and they even bring us back uh, digitally, bring us back into those old ballparks. Oh yeah, it was. I think that was one of my
0: favorite parts about it was how realistic they looked in Ebbets Field, especially with me, you know, wanting to do this project. Uh, that's something that's very important to me is the look of it. Right. So I,
1: I was I was very happy to see the, where technology can bring us these days. It's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, taking us back to our. In my case, my long ago, my youth of long ago, uh, mm-hmm. and I Just thought, speak. I thought, yeah. Yeah. Ahead, I, I, ahead, and I like in the movie. I like the way they integrated certain side stories, the story of DeRocher, for example, being thrown yeah. out of baseball, which to me was a kind of a pivotal moment. I, I was furious at that. And uh, well, in, they the got Bird shot, and they really did uh, pretty solidly. And uh, you I know, thought he, that was great. Wasn't that great, great? Uh, Yeah. They're like, well, uh, uh, hello. <laughs> right, and I thought Harrison Ford uh, gave it uh, gave Branch Rickey. Uh, I,
0: I think he was thought he,
1: did a, he He tried very hard to capture that uh, that old guy, that uh, strange, strange uh, religious person. Uh, uh, not that being religious is strange, but the fact that he was uh, uh, such a such a, such a self righteous person, uh, Branch Rickey. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want to didn't want to play his pay his players a lot of money at the same time. Mhm. Uh, it's interesting because uh, the movie was good.
0: They they discluded that scene where uh, Branch Rickey. I mean, they included it when uh, telling Jackie. But there's that famous scene where Red Barber, uh, when you read when reading the Dodger books, uh, um, Branch Rickey had dinner or or breakfast or lunch or something with Red Barber, and he tells him he told him the story about the uh, the kid at Ohio Wesleyan, and um, Red Barber wasn't sure. He went home. His wife was like, why don't you think it over, you know, answer, answer in the morning. And then, uh, Red Barber never mentioned it again and, you know, went on to, uh, to not leave the daughters because of, because of his skin color, because he thought better of it. And, that's right. That, that, that's a, that's a beautiful scene to, uh,
1: to read about. Although later on, Barber did leave the, that Dodgers and go over to the Yankees, mm-hmm. and that that was a huge shocker to those of us who were. Who well, that were had so a lot to do, to do with Walter things. O'Malley, right? It certainly did. O'Malley was at the heart of that, no question about it. Uh, and oh, and uh, Barber uh, really uh, had. He wrote a book himself, which you may have seen, uh, which he called, uh, which he called O'Malley a very devious man, mm-hmm. and and I agree with that. Uh, a lot of. A lot of uh, historians think that uh, that that it was just solid business sense that took a, that took the Dodgers away from Brooklyn. But I I tend to believe that there that there must have been a way to save them had it not been for the the dollars uh, beckoning from the West Coast. But, well, speaking of which, you were 18 when they won the
0: World Series and 20 when they I, left.
1: Let's start with, with the World
0: Series. Uh, what,
1: what was that day, like forty, October fourth, nineteen fifty-five. Well, I was in college then. I'd gone to college, and I was my fresh—I was a freshman in college—and the fellow who was my roommate uh, w- laughed at me when I said that I was a Dodger fan. He couldn't—he just huh, no chance. He was a Yankee fan whatsoever, uh, and I was uh, watching that game on TV, and it was uh, a moment of great joy. But I was not in Brooklyn. I was in upstate yeah. New York, so I didn't get an opportunity to uh, really uh, share the joy with my fellow Brooklynites. But uh, uh, it was wonderful, uh, absolutely. Uh, finally, after all these years of frustration, all these were there, frustrations. Uh, were there other Dodger fans around that you did celebrate with? Uh, I, I couldn't find anybody. I was, uh, remember I had just arrived for my freshman year and uh, was just kind of getting my feet wet in college, so... Uh, I don't remember anyone else saying, "Yeah, great the Dodgers won, terrific at long last." Uh but I did run into some Yankee fans who couldn't believe it because uh, I always thought it was too easy to be a Yankee fan. Yeah, we win. We win all the time. So what the heck? Uh, yeah. So. Exactly. Well, you know, I'm a converted uh, Mets fan actually. I- you, you were you were yeah. a Yankee
0: fan? Oh, uh-huh. wow. And, and uh, it just made more natural sense for me to go over to the National
1: League, in, in, you know, especially in New York. So. Uh, and no DH to to contend mm-hmm. with in the National League either, which uh, I never had liked the DH. I always thought that was kind of uh, taking away one of the, base, the most important aspects of baseball, which is to get something in baseball. You have to give something up. It's a, yeah, and 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 you, so in a way, the DH is giving uh, the lineup something for nothing. But, uh, that's another, and and I, and I hold to that to this day.
0: Well, the unfortunate part is that if it were, if it were to ever go on either side, uh, it's more likely that they'll put the DH into the the, uh, NL as opposed to dissolve the DH just because of the money that is made and the union would take that. They, they would not appreciate that at all, uh, and, uh, I suspect, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think I think the people uh, and the powers that be like the two different contrasting ideas. Uh, but I think it, you know it's leaning towards the DH
1: and the NL uh, maybe over the course of time. I don't know, especially with the the way interleague is now. Well, that's certainly an issue. The interleague games, uh, which I think I'm not even wild about that. If you want to know the truth, I. I think it just it dilutes the season in a way. Uh, but uh, the other thing is, and I, one of the things that about that I absolutely can't stand is the All Star winner gets the, the league that wins the All Star game gets to gets home field advantage in the World Series. That makes no sense to me at all. That's just as a uh, you're, you're you're mixing apples and oranges there for, for sure.
0: Well, Shane, I know that you need to get back to your friend. Uh, but I want to leave with when the Dodgers left, and you said you were in college, so I'm guessing you were still uh, in college in 1957. Um, I was, but your parents were still living in Bay Ridge. What was that like for for everybody? Uh,
1: uh, I had my my I had a stepfather. My do- father had died. I had a stepfather, and he was a Dodger fan. And uh, well, we all couldn't believe it. And uh, at the very end, uh, Rockefeller came in, and it looked like he was going to bring some. Uh, i mean put several million million dollars into the no into the into the scheme to build this new ballpark uh at uh in Atlantic over the Long Island Railroad station down there between Atlantic and Pacific avenues but uh in the end uh we just kind of sat back and watched it happen and there was this feeling of helplessness and sadness it was uh a terrible thing uh and i think that Brooklyn then went into some sort of a decline from the loss of the from the loss of the team, but uh, Brooklyn has come back big. My daughter lives in Greenpoint, which is a swinging neighborhood, uh, an upscale neighborhood. We have the Cyclones. Uh, we now uh, have a, 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 an NBA team. Uh, so uh, Brooklyn, you can't put Brooklyn down forever. Brooklyn's maybe it'll become a city back. one day again. Right. Well, that would be great. Uh, In seasons past, I quote from the last. I mean, when the Brooklyn Eagle died, there was an editorial about just exactly that—the notion of the notion that when Brooklyn was merged into New York City, it lost some of its identity and lost some of its character. And I think one could argue that. Um, But uh, it's uh, a great place even today.
0: It's spectacular. St. Thank you very very much for joining, and we'll have you on again. For sure, for sure. Okay, thanks. Take care, Sam. Bye bye. Take care, Sam. That's our show. Bye-bye. Catch us next time. Take care, everybody.